This morning, um, of course, we're, we're in this series on wisdom. And I want to remind you this morning that when we talk about wisdom, you know, wisdom is not um, some mist that floats around in the air. Whenever we say as Christ followers that we need wisdom, what are we really saying is that we need what? We need Jesus, right? Jesus is the wisdom of God, the Bible tells us. So whenever you cry out and you say, God, I need wisdom right now, you are saying literally, Jesus, I need for you to come, and Jesus, I need for you to speak to me. Whenever you call out for wisdom, you're not just, sometimes it feels like, oh, I'm just calling out some mythical mist in the air or whatever. No, whenever as a Christ follower you say you need wisdom, you are literally saying, Jesus, I need for you to come and I need for you to speak with me right now. I need for you to guide me right now. I need you to be here in this moment right now. Scripture says, Proverbs says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I want to remind you this morning, we've talked about these, these past several weeks, that fear of God is not the word phobia, you know, where we're afraid of God, like I'm afraid of spiders, petrified. But that's not the kind of fear that the Bible says is wisdom. Fear of God simply means this, right? I have an awe, an honor, a respect, or reverence for God. And it's not just that I have an awe, honor, respect, or reverence for God. Fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, right, is I have an awe, an honor, respect, or reverence for you, God. And I know what you say about right and wrong, and I choose not to cross those boundary lines. That's what fear of the Lord looks like. There's a lot of people who knows what, know, they know what God says about right and wrong, but they don't have a fear of God. You know how I know? Because there's their boundary line. God says, this is not what's best for you. And what do they do? All the way over on the other side of that boundary line. That's not what wisdom looks like. Someone say amen. Right? Wisdom says, God, I trust you. I know what you say about the best way to, for me to live my life. And I'm not going to cross that boundary line. I trust you, God. I don't remember who it was I was meeting with this week or whatever. And it was someone relatively new in their faith and their Christianity. And we were just talking about the Bible. And sometimes I just try to make things really simple to explain, well, you know, what is the Bible? You know, it's God's word to us. Well, you know, that, sometimes that can be difficult at times. And I know this might sound trite or simplistic, but, you know, I like to, I don't know where I got this, but it's just always stuck with me. Um, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, right? Basic Instructions before leaving earth. Like, oh yeah. I always remind myself about God's instructions, my, those basic instructions before leaving earth, right? And I go to God's word for wisdom in my life. God, what do you say? What's best for me? And then Holy Spirit, I need for you to give me the strength and the power then to, to follow through and to listen to you, God. So the series is wisdom, right? And we've talked about different times and moments and seasons of our life when we need wisdom. And um, this morning, you can leave that slide there, Jamie. This morning, in particular, um, the, so the kids and the kids' ministry, preschoolers, kind of their big idea is this. You can ask God questions. Like, oh, you can go to God and you can ask God questions. I thought, okay, that's going to take me about 30 seconds to tell that to the, all of our adults in here. 
What am I going to do with that, right? You can go to God and ask him questions. There's wisdom in that. Saying, God, I don't, you know, I have questions for you. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought about how does that apply to my life and to the life of our church? And I don't know, um, you know, I have my own, I speak to you guys, I prepare and I do stuff, right? But then I have my own personal devotional life, like where what I'm doing has nothing to do with just coming out here and speaking to you guys where I feel like God's telling me. And so, you know, I have my own quiet time, we call it devotional life. And this past couple of weeks, there's a group of about 17 guys. We've been reading a lot of the same things. And, and, um, and we've been in this book, this Old Testament book called Job. Anybody ever read the book of Job? I, it is, I'm just gonna, not going to lie to you. I know it's God's word, but it is brutal sometimes for me to read the book of Job. I just, I probably shouldn't say that. You're going to think, wow, you're a pastor and you're saying that. It is really hard for me to read this Old Testament book called Job. And it's so hard because this guy's life, I mean, he had 10 kids and he loses all 10 kids and he's got sickness and suffering in his body and he's got depression going on in his body and just all kinds of symptoms going on and, you know, and he loses everything. And he has friends and his friends come in and they're accusational and they accuse him of things that aren't true and people are supposed to be encouraging him and they're not lifting him up, they're just tearing him down, just piling on. And I sit there and I read it. I'm like, oh, man, this is just miserable. And I think about asking God questions. And I think if there's a moment and season in my life when I want to ask God questions the most, I want to question God, it's seasons of suffering, right? When life hands you the unexpected. God, I just didn't see that coming. I just, I didn't see that coming. I, I, you fill in the blank, right? And this message this morning about suffering is not just about you suffering. But some of us have big questions for God because maybe you're personally not suffering, but you look around and you see people around you and you see what's going on with people around you and you're like, God, How in the world can this be happening? Look at what's going on, God. I just don't get it. What are you doing? Where are you? You're asking God these questions because either you're going through those seasons, those moments of suffering, or you see people around you suffering. You see injustice going on. You're like, God, this just doesn't make sense. Has anybody ever had the unexpected happen to them? You can raise your hands on that one, right? I mean, most of us. So often it leads to seasons of suffering. You, do you guys know that the Bible is filled with sports analogies? Do you guys know that? Amen, right? Right, Ricky said that. Mostly, the Bible talks about running because that's really cool. People who run, you know, just saying. But one of the other sports the Bible talks a lot about is a sport I think is just disgusting. I just cannot stand it. I think it's nasty. 
but it is the sport of wrestling. Thank the Lord, my only my oldest son was a wrestler. I mean, you know, you're body to body and sweating and you're grabbing body parts and, you know, it's just, it's just, that's gross. Someone say amen, right? I mean, come on. It should be illegal. <laughs> it's disgusting. But I tell you what, wrestlers, it is brutal. Three minutes out on the mat, man, there is, n- other than a, uh, again, this is going to sound weird, but the two people, two athletes I re- probably respect the most are gymnasts and wrestlers. They are just pound for pound. I mean, they're just, you know, lean and mean, and it's just brutal every second, every moment. And you just come off the mat, and you're exhausted. And the Bible's filled with wrestling analogies about people who struggled, who wrestled, with God. Did you know that? There's three people in particular who wrestled with God. Most of them are found in the Old Testament, but in particular, there's this Old Testament book called Habakkuk, or some people say Habakkuk. I don't know. No one really knows how to say it, but I call, I say Habakkuk, okay? I think we have a slide, Habakkuk. And if you have a Bible, you know, H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K, Habakkuk or Habakkuk. And his name literally means, listen to this, the name Habakkuk means he who embraces, he who clings. It's where we get this idea of wrestling. Everybody say wrestle. Right. Habakkuk was a wrestler. He lived about 600 years before Jesus. And he was a prophet. A prophet was a person who spoke for God. Sometimes we think of someone who gives a prophecy, like, you know, you go see a fortune teller and they're foretelling the future. And sometimes God would reveal things that might happen later on. But more often than not, a prophet was not a foreteller of the future, but they were a forth teller. They were a spokesperson for God. God would speak to them and they would relay that message to the people. And his name means he who clings, he who embraces, one who wrestles. Habakkuk wrestled with God and he wrestled with people. He lived 600 years before Jesus. And Israel at this time the country of Israel had been divided into two parts. There was a northern part that we, they would refer to as Israel and the southern part called Judah. And at this particular point in time, the northern part had been destroyed and it was just the southern kingdom where Jerusalem, the capital of Jerusalem, you know, uh, of Israel today, where Jerusalem is. And Habakkuk was a prophet, a spokesperson. He spoke for God to, to God's people. And we really don't know a lot about him. Matter of fact, the Bible really outside this book says nothing that we're aware of. I mean, there might be a few maybe passages, but we don't know anything. Like, as far as I know, Habakkuk wasn't suffering at all. Like, his life was okay. But he looked around him. And he's like, God, what is going on? 
All these people around me, matter of fact, God, these are your people. They're fighting, there's bickering, there's injustice. People are being marginalized. People are being taken advantage of. God, I have no clue what you're doing. Where are you? Why aren't you listening to me, God? God, why aren't you talking to me? Why am I suffering? Why are your people suffering like this, God? He was wrestling. Not necessarily because of his life, but because of everything that he saw going on around him. And I know some of you in here this morning most likely are probably wrestling with God. You need wisdom for Jesus to come and speak to you because the unexpected has happened and you didn't see yourself in this position and it seems unfair, it's just overwhelming. I don't don't want to pretend to fill in the circumstances or the, the words to describe the heartache in your own life. And some of you are here, and it's like, you know what? It's not so much my life, but I just look around, and I see all these other people suffering. I'm like, God, why? Why is this happening? And you're a wrestler with God. Job, another Old Testament person, remember I already mentioned him. He wrestled with God. All this stuff happens to his family. He asked God all kinds of questions. The whole book of Job is filled with Job just saying, God, why, why, why? On and on and on. There's a third wrestler with God. And actually, Jamie, like later on, we might have this Genesis chapter 32. A guy named Jacob. Genesis chapter 32, and you can write it on your notes here. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 38. Jacob, his name literally means deceiver, and he was a trickster. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. But God uses someone like Jacob, and he has this experience where he wrestles, literally wrestles. In the, in the way we understand it, it's like he's wrestling with a man, but he's literally wrestling with God. Now, I don't know exactly, I mean, have you ever wrestled with God where you felt like you were just going back and forth and, you know, not necessarily literally, but figuratively you were wrestling with God? And so Jacob had one of those moments, experiences in his life when the unexpected was happening and he was wrestling with God. And the scripture says in Genesis 32, it says the angel of the Lord, God responded and he said to Jacob, he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, deceiver, but your name will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. That name Israel that he changed his name to literally means wrestles with God or one who struggles with God. He had a moment, a season of his life where he just struggled and wrestled with God. Not necessarily understanding what was going on in the season of suffering. I want to go back to Habakkuk chapter 1. And I know the words are a little bit small, but um, Habakkuk chapter 1, and just the first, I don't know, 13 verses, I want to read this to you. Remember, I told you about this, this scenario, right? All the stuff was going on around him. 
And he asked God the big question. He says, God, how long must I call for help? But God, you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, God, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see the evil deeds, see these evil deeds? He's looking around. Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, all I see is destruction and violence. God, I'm surrounded by people. Now, these are God's people. These aren't just some foreign group of people who don't know God and don't have God's word revealed to them. He says, I'm surrounded by people who love to argue, people who love to fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. We have all these marginalized people and they're being taken advantage of. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replies to him, have you ever prayed? He's like, I don't understand what's going on. Where have you been? Why aren't you listening? Sometimes God responds, but it's not necessarily what you wanted to hear. Has that ever happened to anybody besides me? Anybody raise your hand. God responds to him as he's questioning God. It says, the Lord responded. He says, look around at the nations. I want you to look and I want you to be amazed. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. God says, I, not by chance, right? I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and they will conquer other lands. Habakkuk is like, what? God, I'm seeing all this stuff going on around me. Will you do something? God says, oh yeah, I'm going to answer your prayer request, Habakkuk. But I'm going to use somebody or something that you did not see coming either. Something that you actually don't even want. These Babylonians, this other foreign country, like they were brutal, vicious, like, you know, peeling the skin off of people type, you know, conquerors. I mean, just, you go back and read world history, just the worst of the worst. Verse 12, Habakkuk's like, Lord, you are the eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh, oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink, ha-ha, at their treachery? I know you wouldn't do that, would you? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? He's crying out. He's like, God, I'm struggling here. It's just struggling. God says, well, I'm going to answer you, Habakkuk. I'm, I'm glad you're praying and interceding. But sometimes God answers us, and it's not necessarily what we wanted, but that he's going to use to bring about change in our lives. And we don't always understand that even. 
as I thought through asking these questions to God, there were six things, and these are on the back of your notes, if you want the fill-ins or whatever. There's six things that I think that we can take away and learn from Habakkuk. Number one, God's ways are not our ways, right? It's okay. I want to remind you, it's okay to ask God the big questions. It's okay to trust, to, to ask God these questions. But there's these moments where we ask him questions and say, but you know what, God, I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to trust you. At the very end of Habakkuk, is only three chapters long. It'll take you 10 minutes. Go home and read it. It's just three chapters, 10 minutes. That's all it'll take. At the very end, Habakkuk says this about trust. He says, God, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and even though, God, there are no grapes on the grapevines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, God, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to rejoice about my circumstances, right? Because later on, another feeling. Like our joy and our peace is not found in our circumstances. He makes it really clear, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to find my joy, my strength in you, God. I'm going to cling to you. God, I recognize that you're my strength. You make my, my feet as sure-footed as a deer are able to tread upon the heights. Job says, Job chapter 13, verse 15. He says, God, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. God's ways are not our ways. It's okay to ask him the big questions and still decide that God can be trusted. Second fill-in. A reminder that even when things seem chaotic, that we're reminded when I'm suffering, I see it going on around me, that God is still in control. He's still in control. I've already read these to you, but Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 3, verse 19, God talks about how he is raising up the Babylonians. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19 talks about, he says, God, you are sovereign. God, you are in control. You are my strength. I have to go back in those moments when I see all this stuff taking place around me. I remind myself that nothing takes God by surprise. What happened to you? Last night, it didn't take God by surprise. What's going to happen tomorrow morning didn't take God by surprise. I might not like it. It might be horrible. But God's in control, and I can trust him. Third thing. The third and fourth kind of go together. God wants, I have to remind myself, as Habakkuk does, that God wants what's best for us. Even when it's hard, right? And I have to understand, understanding how God works is not my job, but trusting him is. Like, I don't have to understand. Aren't you glad you don't have to understand how God works? I don't have to understand how God works. My job is simply trusting him. You know, even if I understood how God works, it's, you know, it still probably wouldn't make the situation any better. Even if I knew, it still wouldn't help. Even if I understood, 
My job is not to understand, but just simply to continue to trust him. I love this passage in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk is speaking, and this is what he says. He says, God, I'm going to climb up on this watchtower, and I'm going to stand at my guard post. There, God, I'm going to wait to see what you say and how you will answer all these complaints I've been giving you. Another translation puts it like this. I will stand like a guard and watch. I will wait to see what the Lord says. After I've asked you the big question, God, I'm going to wait to see what you say to me. I will wait and learn how you answer my questions. If I were to paraphrase this verse, I would put it like this. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you are right in all things. Please speak to me and correct me. I have no clue what you're doing, God. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you to speak to me. I'm going to ask you to correct me. The fifth thing I think that we can take away from this passage is that we, and I already mentioned this, right, that Habakkuk doesn't talk about peace and joy in his circumstances. They don't come from our circumstances, but he said they come from God. He's like, God, you're my strength. You're my rock. God, you're my rescuer. I'm going to rejoice in you, chapter 3, verse 19 says, or verse 18 there's this little verse, chapter 2, verse 24, or verse 4 is repeating in the New Testament. God's speaking, and he says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous, those that are in right relationship with God, will live by their trust or by their faithfulness to God. That's repeated several times in the New Testament. The righteous will live by faith. Those that are in right relationship with God will live by trust in him. Again, chapter 3, verse 18, he's speaking about all these things. Then this, God, then this, even though the fig trees are barren, even though there's no wheat in the barn, even though, even though, God. Then he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Only two New Testament passages today. John 15, Jesus is speaking. He's reminding us, right? He says, I've told you that there's going to be trouble. I've told you that so that my joy, not the world's, not your circumstance, but my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. When we wrestle with God, when we brace him, she's saying, you can look to me. Now it talks about peace in Philippians 4. The peace of God which transcends all understandings will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The last thing that we need to remember from Habakkuk, my timing is just my timing. But God's timing is always perfect. Someone say amen. Man. God, there's so often I just, I don't understand. I don't like it. I want you to move. I want you to do something and my timing is just that, but it's not perfect timing. I'm reminded of this in two passages. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. God's speaking. He says, this vision is for the future. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. It may seem slow in coming, God says, but wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And then 2 Peter 3 says, you must not forget that this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. 
The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises as you may think or some think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. As I was thinking about this and, and, and how, do I, how do we apply this this morning, on, on the homework on the back there, I wrote a little section called Take It Home. And I want you to think about this tonight. When you go to bed this evening, I want to encourage you and challenge you to get out a notepad or your iPad or whatever. And I want you to think about Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. And how he talks about these things, right? When he says, oh, even though the fig trees have no blossom, even though the olive crops fails, even though the flocks die in the field. He says, yet God, I will rejoice in you. And I wrote on there, I want you to write that, those verses out. And then I want you to kind of paraphrase your life into those last couple of verses. Whenever you're suffering, whatever the problems you're facing, substitute those problems for Habakkuk says, even though this, even though this, even though this. And you just do the same thing. And you say, God, even though, yet I will rejoice in you. And you tell God the same thing that Habakkuk told God. God, I need your wisdom in this moment, in this season of suffering. 